0: My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Well, welcome as we continue our journey through the Word of God. And today we are going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I just want to make sure I've got the verses right today. Uh, verse, verses 7 to 11. Just one passage and we're just going to go through that one passage today. And it's a very important passage because it talks about the gifts that God needs to equip us with through the power of the Holy Spirit in order to carry out the mission that he has for your life and for my life. We need these gifts. God needs Christians to be using these gifts. If we don't use these gifts, then God's mission for our life is going to be sabotaged by our lack of desire and sometimes a lack of willingness and other times just a pure lack of faith to allow God to work through us through his gifts. So let's get into it. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one. individually as he wills. He wills. Now, before we kind of get into this, these these are called the gifts of the Spirit. They're, it's not an exhaustive list. There are others that the Apostle Paul goes on and talks about later on. But in these gifts they are broken up from a teaching perspective, not from a Bible perspective, but from a teaching perspective, there's an easy way to kind of remember the nine gifts. There are the revelation gifts, the power gifts, and the speaking gifts. So you've got the revelation gifts, uh, that we have the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. These gifts help reveal what is unknown or hidden in order to bring to understanding God's word or to explain God's intentions or desires. Then we have the power gifts, uh, faith, gifts of healings, working of miracles. They they just very visibly demonstrate God's power. And then we have the speaking gifts, and the speaking gifts, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. How does God use these to audibly communicate with us? And so I just wanted to give you those just as a little breakdown, because they just help you remember the nine gifts. So let's start. The manifestation of the Spirit is given. The Holy Spirit is always present in and among Christians. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit that in John chapter 14, verse 16, uh, he may abide with you forever. But... Sometimes in our lives, the Holy Spirit's presence is more apparent than at other times. There are times when he may choose to manifest himself, uh, which it means just to make himself apparent in and through us. But we should never think that the Holy Spirit is more present with us when these manifestations are taking place. The Holy Spirit is always present with a believer, and there are times when it's more apparent because of the manifestation of the Spirit. So, given to each one for the profit of all. The purposes of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in you and I is to benefit the whole church family, not just you or I as individuals. And as Paul begins to mention the different manifestations of the Spirit, he begins by starting with the word of wisdom, which is the unique ability to speak forth the wisdom of God uh in 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 important situations uh Stephen was a demonstration of this in Acts chapter 7 Paul in Acts chapter 23 it's getting some wisdom about a situation that you could only get from God it's godly wisdom only from God the second one is the word of knowledge which is the unique ability to know something that could only have been revealed to you supernaturally uh Jesus had this word of knowledge in Matthew chapter 17 verses 24 to 27. Paul had it in Acts chapter 27 verse 10 and also again in 27 verse, verses 23 to 26. David Guzik says this about the word of knowledge and also comparing it to uh, the word of wisdom. We do well to understand the difference between the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. One may have great knowledge, even supernatural knowledge, you'd have no wisdom from god in the application of that knowledge so true it's why we're all needed no no one person has it all they're indis- distributed individually as he wills not as we want as he wills i think when we read a list like this we're like oh i'll have that one i'll have that one. oh i'd like i i, I yes i oh i don't want that tongues one um and the miracles one seems like too much pressure yeah um yeah, uh, oh, I don't know. I think miracles would be kind of cool. Uh, discerning of spirits. So oh, that sounds a little bit spooky. I don't know if I want. That, that's how we read it. As if like we're gonna, we're going it's like a shopping list. No, that's not how it is. He distributes as we have need in order to carry out the mission that God has for our lives. The gift of faith. Through, look, faith is an essential part of every Christian's life in order to actually become saved. It's by faith. Uh, the gift of faith is that unique ability to trust God above just your salvation. It's that ability to trust God in a in a supernaturally in in a, in a very particular circumstance. For example, when Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water in Matthew chapter fourteen, that was a, a an act of faith that was a gift. Uh, it's an, it's a demonstration of what that gift might look like. Now, uh, now of course, when Peter walked on the water. The, the, the day of Pentecost had not happened yet. So what it is, it just gives us an understanding of what that could look like. Literally stepping out of the boat. And I think that's why it's such a good example. Uh, George Mueller, uh, who was a 19th century, century uh, English philanthropist, uh, said, God, I will provide for thousands of orphans if you provide the money. And all he did is pray. And he would just pray every day and money would just come in and he would provide for thousands of orphans. And he never asked for donations once. Never. That's a gift of faith, to believe that God had given you that assignment in life and that somehow he was going to provide. That takes the gift of faith. That's supernatural. The gift of healings. God's healing power. Now, this can be the gift of healings that's either either given or received. Uh, and it's been repeatedly documented in the New Testament uh, and, and ever ever since for the last 2000 years uh the gifts of healings of people who have had a gift to be able to go and pray for people to 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 receive a healing and then for other people to receive the gift of healing in their body adam clark says this on the gifts of healings the power at uh, which at particular times the apostles received from the Holy Spirit to cure diseases, a power which was not always resident in them, for Paul could not cure Timothy, nor remove his own thorn in the flesh, because it was given only on extraordinary occasions, though perhaps more generally than many others. So it's it's not a magic stick. If you've got the gift of healing, doesn't mean that you can heal everybody. It means that God has uh, the ability to use you in certain circumstances where healing needs to be uh, given or received. Working in miracles. The Greek word is uh, dynamis, uh, acts of power. Uh, describes when the Holy Spirit chooses to override the actual laws of nature that God created, uh, working in and through a particular person. Uh, gifts of healings, gifts of miracles, often we see them operate together with the gift of faith. Uh, Acts chapter 3 verses 1 to 8 is a great example of that. Uh, These things are not done on just the instant decision of the individual Uh, as if you have the ability to work miracles or heal people at your immediate disposal. Uh, They operate as an individual is prompted by God through the power of the Holy Spirit and given the faith to perform that particular work. Acts chapter 14, verses 8 to 10. You can look up these examples. Prophecy. Prophecy in the New Testament is the Greek word prophesia, which is different than the Hebrew word, has a different meaning than the Hebrew word prophecy, that English word that we use in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the, the Greek, the Hebrew word that was used was, was more consistent with telling the future, good or bad. In the New Testament, the Greek word prophesia is a word that is more forthtelling about God's message in a particular situation. And it is always in accordance with His word and whatever work He is currently performing. And sometimes this has the character of foretelling the future, Acts chapter 21 verses 10 to 11, Acts 27 verses 21 to 26, but most of the time it is more a forthtelling than a foretelling. Discerning of spirits, the ability to tell the difference between true and false doctrine. What is the Holy Spirit? What is not the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 8 verses 18 to 23, Acts chapter 16 verses 16 to 18. Guzik says this about discerning of spirits. Satan appears as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 14. He deceives with a false tempting message in Genesis chapter 2 verses 16 to chapter 3 verse 5. There can be lying spirits in the mouths of prophets as in 1 Kings chapter 21 verses, uh, 21, chapter 22, sorry, verses 21 and 23, and 2 Chronicles chapter 18 verses 20 to 22. Satan can speak right after God speaks, as in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. Sometimes people who seem to say the right things are really from the devil. Acts chapter 13, verses 6 to 12. Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 18. It is important to test the word of anyone who claims to speak from God. 1 John 4, verses 1 to 3. Satan can work deceiving miracles, as in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. Revelation chapter 13 verses 11 to 14. The devil will try to infiltrate the church with false false teachers as in Jude 4 and 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 to 2. How we need the gift of discernment in the church today. Those things all happened in the Bible and they didn't stop. The devil still uses every single weapon in his arsenal and we need discerning of spirits in order to determine what is of God and what is not. Now, the gift of tongues. This is the gift of different kinds of tongues. So allow me to explain this in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Speaking in tongues is referred to multiple times in the Bible. It's specifically talked about in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, chapter 10, chapter 19, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In all of those cases, with the exception of this case, the word that is used to describe that gift is the word Dorea, D-O-R-E-A, or as known as a Dorean gift, which means a gift that is given to an individual for the benefit of the individual. That's what the gift of speaking in tongues, as mentioned in each of those contexts, actually is. In this particular context, the word gift that's used in regards to speaking in tongues, and this is why it says different kinds of tongues, is because the word charisma is used. It's the only time it's used, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The gift of speaking in tongues in different kinds of tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a charismatic gift, which means that it is given to somebody for the benefit of the church, a different kind of tongue. So that's just a very short explanation of why it says different kinds of tongues. When we're using the gift of tongues, we are agreeing with God as the Holy Spirit prays through us even though we don't understand what we're praying God understands Uh, tongues as a personal private prayer language have a very important place in the devotional life of a believer but they actually only have a very small place in the corporate life of a church and in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 we're going to look at that uh, particularly when it comes to public meetings when Tongues are practiced in the corporate life of a church. it must be carefully controlled and it should never be without an interpretation of the Holy Spirit, which is what Paul will teach about in first Corinthians chapter 14. So that's just a little bit about that okay now David Guzik has some interesting thoughts uh, on this particular topic which I really appreciate him going to such trouble to detail his thoughts in a very clear and concise way. Often those who speak in tongues today are mocked by those who deny the gift with the accusation that they are speaking gibberish. Acts chapter 2 is wrongly used to support this because Acts chapter 2 tells us that those speaking in tongues on the day of Pentecost were speaking intelligible languages understood by others. But it does not tell us that all of the 120 or so who spoke in tongues spoke in languages that could be understood. And we should not assume that those who were not immediately understood by by bystanders spoke gibberish, as tongues are referred to with derision by some. They may have praised God in a language completely unknown, yet human. For example, what would the language of the Aztecs sound like to Roman ears? Or in a completely unique language that was given by God and understood by him and him alone. After all, communication with God and not man is the purpose of tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 2. The repetition of phrases, simple phrases, unintelligible and perhaps nonsensical to human bystanders does not mean such speech is gibberish. Praise to God may be simple and repetitive and part of the whole dynamic of tongues is that it bypasses the understanding of the speaker as in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14, and is being understood by God and God alone. And Paul starts off the very next chapter after this one by saying, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels. That's how he starts 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So, there are different kinds of tongues. There are some tongues that represent people having the language of Somebody that they've, a people group that they've never learnt supernaturally. But most times, tongues is something that is just a language given to us by God for a prayer language for us in order for our spirits to be built up. And Paul's going to teach on this more in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm just giving you an outline now of why it says different kinds of tongues. Because the kind of tongues that's used in the gifts of the Spirit is would be, for example, somebody standing up on the platform in church and speaking in tongues. Which is why it's followed by the next gift, which is the gift of interpretation of tongues, which allows the gift of tongues to benefit those people who have heard the speaker speak it. They've been able to then hear what the interpretation is and agree with the tongue speaker's words that were spoken to God. So, gift of tongues, corporate setting, gift, that, that gift, the speaker would be speaking their tongue to God, and then somebody else will get an interpretation to speak it and reveal to men and women what was said. This is a supernatural gift. I understand that it sounds, you say, well, that doesn't sound very natural. No, it's supernatural. The same way that Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit gives these gifts. We have to come to terms of a level of comfort with things that we that are outside our scope of understanding. That's it. it we Paul's going to actually address this later on as he teaches on this topic. There's, it's very easy to read these verses and focus on the list of gifts, but Paul actually doesn't. Because he actually doesn't give a detailed description of each of these gifts. So you would have to imagine the Corinthian church actually was familiar with all of them. And what actually Paul does emphasize is the words, by the same spirit, over and over. He actually repeats it five times and concludes with the statement, but one and the same spirit works on all, all these things. So apparently the tendency for the division among the Corinthian Christians have made them Think separately or competitively about the gifts. Uh, you know, for example, perhaps the tongue speakers thought themselves to be better than the people who prophesied. Uh, Paul emphasizes to them: no, it's the one, the same spirit in all these things, so that they would actually have unity amongst themselves. Why? Because he Paul says it's the Holy Spirit who distributes individually as he wills. And he's perfect. So he's going to have a perfect distribution method. That's another reason for unity. There shouldn't be any sense of superiority. They're not distributed according to which ones you and I want, but as the Spirit of God wills. You have to remember the will of God most of the time is probably different than your will and my will. The way we would solve problems most of the time probably different than how God would solve them. And it's the same way God, that's why the prophet Isaiah said, God doesn't think like we think. His ways are higher, his thoughts are higher. What do you, everything's different when it comes to how he thinks and why he does things. He has eternal purposes in mind, always. So we should never assume that the gifts would be distributed the way we would distribute them. Well, I think sometimes we think, oh, a certain person got a certain gift because they're mature or they're closer to God. That's why they got that gift. But that may not be the case at all. Never assume that giftedness is actually connected to maturity. God can and does for his own glory and purpose distribute spiritual gifts to those who are not specifically mature or even close to him. That's why a spiritual giftedness is never the criteria for the positions of leadership in a church. But Christian maturity and character are 1st Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. God can grant anyone remarkable spiritual gifts in a millisecond. But character and maturity take a long time to build. The goal of the Holy Spirit's work is to always glorify and point people to Jesus. To build the nature of Jesus, the character of Jesus in, our, in us. The Holy Spirit's goal is never to confuse or just amaze us with wonderment, but to build the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And He's not going to use any gift that doesn't achieve that purpose. The believer must receive every single gift that's distributed by the Holy Spirit in faith. He distributes, we receive. And the receiving is based on our faith. Are some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit no longer evident in the church today? This is an issue that has greatly divided the body of Christ theologically, spiritually. There are some people who think the gifts aren't for today uh, and, and, or, and, and that those who think they are are deceived by Satan. There are other people who think that um, those who believe some of the gifts are no longer given, that those people are just dead in their walk with Christ. But I know that all Christians believe that the gifts of teaching, uh, the gifts of administration, they're needed in the church today. It's, it seems to be the, the gifts that have the miraculous nature attached to them that seem to be in dispute. So the more accurate question Guzik says would be, uh, are all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit for today? Some of them no longer been given by God. Those who teach against the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit definitely believe they have the gift of teaching and they believe God still gives that gift today. So what does the Bible say about the continuation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Jesus made a promise in Matthew chapter 16. These signs shall follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will be by no means hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. It's a straightforward and simple promise in context given to those who are spreading the gospel, that they will be unstoppable and God will use miraculous means to protect them and make them effective. Peter, preaching in Acts chapter 2, says, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear, for the promises to you and your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. The promise of the Holy Spirit, specifically including miraculous gifts, is a prophet, is a promise made to all generations. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul's going to go on and say, Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. The purpose for spiritual gifts, even miraculous gifts, is the building up of the body of Christ and individual Christians. And that need remains today. It has not gone away. And and the, the testimony of the Holy Spirit through the New Testament is that the miraculous gifts described in it have not been retracted. No one could ever come to that understanding. There is no indication that miraculous gifts would die out when the apostles died. Well, why do some Christians believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are no longer given by God today? I think because they have a wrong understanding of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which says that the tongues will cease. Uh, which, if you look uh, as we go through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you can see what the thoughts are there which is in a different dispensation, at, 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 in a different time than we are in. We are in that time of the church era right now, and, and, until Jesus comes back. I think people make a wrong application of the truth, that things like speaking in tongues maybe have demonic counterparts, So, they're, well, and, and they're not unique to Christianity, which is it's true. And it's recognized by scripture. But the existence of a counterfeit, I think, tends to prove the existence of the genuine. It doesn't actually deny it. It's the devil coming up with his own way of doing it. My personal observation as I finish this today is seeing the gifts of the Holy Spirit used in my life and in other people's lives is something that is desperately needed. And I see too many Christians that are selfish, I'm just being honest and straightforward with you. I see too many Christians go, no, don't want it. Don't want to have anything to do with it. If I'm saved and going to heaven, if I can get to heaven without doing that, then I don't want it. And I think that is a very simplistic, foolish, ignorant way to live your Christian life. It's also showing no respect for the authority and the headship of Jesus Christ in your life. If the head, Jesus Christ, says to the body, you need this gift to carry out the mission that I have for your life, then who are we to reject and say, no, uh, I don't need that in order to fulfill the purposes and the eternal promises of God in my life? We cannot be selfish. We must open and embrace these things. There are tests for us to apply, which is always pointing us to Jesus. Always. So, a lot in that today. And uh, tell me what you observe. Tell me what you get out of it in the comments below. Father, thank you for this teaching by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. I pray Lord you'd help us digest this, apply it, not be selfish Christians. How can we be the best most effective members of your body in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.